Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Am I tough enough? Strong and stable leadership. Total rhubarb. Hell yes, I'm tough enough. Shut the fridge. Not another one. It's the Politics Show podcast. Love podcast, hate nonsense. This is the Politics Show podcast. Yay! Yes! Woo. <laughs> I don't, don't love saying that when we've got a guest in the studio. Why? I think it was better. I'd be more offended if you didn't hate nonsense. That would be much <laughs> no, more of a yeah. problem. Well, so. Ed normally gets it the wrong way round, and then he's like, "Oh yeah. no, crap!" We yeah. have to do several takes. It's a, it's a yeah. whole palaver. John eh? Trickett loved it. Did he? Yeah, Good he friend. was like, he stared in amazement. He was like, yeah. "I do love podcasts, and I hate nonsense." <laughs> There's quite a few people on YouTube are like, "What are they saying? Love podcasts, hate nonsense." And like, and what Maybe does that we mean? should say that. Maybe we've been like, "You dirty, you filthy, yeah. filthy-minded creatures." It's it can, it can be both. You can hate nonsense. Nonsense as nonces. Mm. Nonsense would be quite good for the sort of twee Twitter humour. Yes, that's going around at the moment. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, um, I'm joined as always by Ava Santina, Ava Evans, women of many names, and man of alliterative name, yeah. Jacob Jarvis. How are you? Hey, yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. How are you? I'm doing very well. Lovely yes. to have you here. You thank are you. a presenter, producer, yep. on multiple podcasts. Yes, for example, The Bunker. Yeah, oh, oh God, what now? Oh um, God, what now? Oh God, what now? Yeah. Um, yeah, if, if if the audience is not aware of, of you and your prolific output, how, how would you describe yourself? How would I describe myself? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you, you just described me pretty well. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I would say, to be honest. <laughs> but yeah, we've got The Bunker, which is an everyday news and politics sort of explainer, which is, I think, quite good fun, but also smart, but not kind of annoying with it. Mm-hmm. And then Oh God, What Now?, which is came out of Romaniacs and is sort of a whole, you know, Fuck Brexit, what's going on, vent fest, mm-hmm. which I think is pretty good fun as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Ollie was on that last week? Yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. it was a good, good episode. Good, it, good well, episode. I mean, I couldn't say otherwise. Whilst I'm here. <laughs> uh, no, it was. Yeah. no, he's not here. It's fine. <laughs> no. We just did, he wasn't here earlier. We did another record. Uh, I mean, no. Yeah, we did. Yeah, that. okay, right. fine. We did another record earlier, and so we just did our impression of what he would say okay. about the House of Lords appointments that Nadine Dorries is. Uh, 
who Dean Doris. Liz Truss is hoping to well, get Well, I know through. he defended Charlotte Owens quite a lot I at know. one point. On your yeah, did, it was, it was, well, kind of, you know, he played the devil's advocate. Yeah, but to be fair, it is his daughter, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so we're to talk about, it's a real truism in kind of media circles is that people in the media love to talk about the media. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a busman's holiday, yeah. almost. Um, so I think we'll talk about kind of, with, our, with with the politics show and podmasters and oh god what now we're kind of small fish in a big pond with big fucking huge whale sharks yeah surrounding us um talk about so we'll talk about like kind of the, the uk media landscape and whether it's good or not which i could mm. have said that better but anyway um what is your assessment jacob of kind of the current media landscape and how do you see kind of the work you do fitting into that uh, i think it could be more gooder in terms of we're going to talk about how good Thank it you could for saying be. That to make me look better. But uh, yeah, it's just kind of, well, it is what it has been for a very long time, which is dominated by legacy brands, which maybe, you know, the purpose is not necessarily to convey news or to do journalism. The purpose is influence and power. And that is why, to me, a lot of those outlets maintain having the, the funding they have and having the positions they do, because... You know, we know less and less people read newspapers now, but for whatever reason, every single politician still really gives a fuck about everything they say. Mm-hmm. And you kind of wonder, well, why is that? And then, you know, you see at the moment that there is a kind of silly season going on and they need to fill themselves and they'll fill themselves by just going, oh, what do you want to say that's completely unhinged today? Mm-hmm. And they can just kind of text in. So, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the media landscape is not in a not in a wonderful state of affairs when it comes to the you know, the higher echelons of it. But I think there are, you know, there's there's nice punchy organizations which are doing different things. But I think then there are there is a concern all around that with how niche you are, where your funding comes from, how much you can do, the way you have to use your resources and the way that you need to use your resources to get reach. So I think it's unfortunately, you know, we're in a position where the news media used to feel kind of quite in control, I think, of us societal narrative and in the way that it wanted to go itself and it's becoming more and more you know to use a really drawn out metaphor something that feels like a kind of boat that has been boshed around by waves and will go whatever way you know politicians or other people with money or power kind of want it to go mm-hmm. mm, that's interesting yeah it's true though isn't it because i mean most outlets are loss making yeah um i mean especially tv rolling news it's extremely expensive to do that I mean, why on earth would you still have a linear channel now, knowing that no one really watches yeah. or consumes your news that way, if but to, you know, yeah. in the pursuit of influence? I'm, I'm messing up now my words as well. And no, it's also it's a so kind of uh, a branding exercise too, is that those major organizations can kind of go, well, look, we do do the sensible, important stuff. And that's why you maybe shouldn't give us so much shit when we do the horrible stuff we mm. do as well. Which, you know, smaller places like yourselves, like ourselves, we've got our our outlets and they are what they are and everything kind of has to be gone to towards being something that fulfills the audience in a certain way. Whereas if you're a massive legacy brand, you can go, hey, let's do the stuff that makes us, you know, look respectable whilst we can also do whatever the hell we want on another angle and choose what we want to serve up because we can do so much at Mm. the same time. Mm. The thing that's interesting is something, if you take like the Telegraph, the Telegraph has a really good women's sports section. They were kind of like... um, leaders in that market when like that women's sports started to be taken more seriously in the yeah. uk yeah. but a lot of the first t- day that was wasn't it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it i don't know i don't know but um 
Okay, but kind of, there's probably the Telegraph has probably published multiple editorials about the scourge of the woke yeah. lionesses, yeah, or something like that. Yeah. It's like it's, it's it's interesting the kind of the it, with each outlet contains contradictions. I believe. I mean, we launched a new podcast called Paper Cuts recently, looking mm. over. Oh, I was wondering you know, if that was yours as well. Yeah. I love that podcast. Oh, thank you so Cut much. Cut this out. Cut. Well, yeah, that's please go plugs. listen to no, the podcast. We're going to bleep that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know, I find myself now very early in the morning reading through all of the papers and reading through papers that I mean, I've always tried quite hard to read a mix of different newspapers because I think they all have their their perks. As much as we would like to shit on them a lot. And the podcast does, if you want to show on podcast um, on papers, it will do that as well. But then, yeah, the Telegraph, I can be astounded by the international coverage, can be absolutely incredible. Mm. But unfortunately, it's sort of behind, you know, pages of sort of Nadine Dory's diaries or whatever it might be. And it's the same in the Daily Mail can have some amazing stuff, which will campaign for important issues and women's issues and stuff, which the other papers won't necessarily do. But unfortunately, then they'll go, Hey, Boris, do you want to write some utter shite <laughs> yeah. for £100,000 or whatever it might be? Daily Mail, very anti-noncing, just yeah. as, a, as a concept. I think all they've papers done, are right, but they've done How many campaigns have they done? Well, like behind the pedos. Yeah. At least one, I imagine. I don't know. I don't know. But I think yeah. all outlets are That's reminded me of that time that I said to that Tory MP in a green room, like tongue-in-cheek, like, you know, if you had one policy that you ran on and it was... A capital, <laughs> capital punishment for, for paedophiles. You'd win. You'd win every election. And then he went on. I was watching him from the green room say it on air. <laughs> the advisor was sitting in the green room like, no. That's like seeing in action. Like, you know when someone says that someone would, a politician would just repeat the last thing they heard. Yeah. That's what, that was that in action. Yeah, it was, it was great. Um, what do we think? So there's been a, a you mentioned they were kind of like small punchy organisations. There's a lot of, of One's thankfully still thriving, but recently a lot of shuttered, like Galvin yeah. shuttered, um, BuzzFeed UK's, I think, cease operations, Vice is in trouble. Yeah. What What is it that makes, what, why are these 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 um, outlets get a lot of following and a lot of hype and people enjoy them, but they just struggle to kind of turn it into making it sustainable. What, what do you think is it that makes that so difficult? I think to punch through a lot of the time, you have to kind of gamify the whole thing. So I spoke to Ben Smith, who edited BuzzFeed News for a little while recently. And, you know, it kind of felt like a lot of the ways that these places kicked through was things like Facebook traffic. And then you just simply can't decide what Facebook is going to do forever. Mm. So you can game Facebook and you can work out what's going to go on for it. And then they can say, fuck off. We want to do something completely different now. We want to use different platforms. We want to use different publishers. We want to make you pay for it. And it's going to go down. And we've seen that with Twitter now. We've seen Elon Musk just go, we're going to completely crush your, your Twitter numbers and pay for us if you want or don't. Then you have the conscious issue of going, well, from a branding level, should I be paying for it? Because people won't like that about mm -hmm. me. So I think a lot of these places will, you know, when they peak, it's by coming through on something which is, you know, often good content, but also working out a strategy which allows them to push that forward. Mm -hmm. And those strategies aren't necessarily of their own accord. It's using something else. Whereas somewhere like you know, the New York Times has persistently been incredibly successful because the New York Times does what it does and has always done what it does and will always do what it does and has faith that it's really, really good. And so it's just stuck through it. They've also got buckets of money as mm -hmm. well. But I think some of these other places you will see them switch tact, switch tact, should I say, because of these external pressures. So, you know, that can 
work really well for people for a short amount of time, but then you can quite easily have the rug completely pulled yeah. out from underneath mm. you. And the New York Times kind of have messed up a little bit recently yeah. because they've bought on extra, you know, arms and legs or whatever the professional term for that is. I mean, like, <laughs> the stuff. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> it's called Wordle. Yeah. Ah. Um, the Athletic was a huge loss yeah. maker for them. I think it was $8 million or something like that. It just, like, absolutely. But they're keeping. They're well, I remember I worked on. for a local paper when The Athletic was kind of deciding to go into uh, British sport and go into football. And mm. it was just crazy. This came ac across with such an aggressive strategy of just going, do, come do the exact same job you're doing, mm. but we'll pay you, you know, twice as much money because we're an American company. Yeah. Do you come know who else it. did that? GB News. Yeah. They yeah. really did. Oh, yeah, they paid stupid they, money. Stupid money. Yeah. yeah. But then it's like, how much? how much is my soul worth? And frankly, it was too much is what they were yeah. offering me. So I said, no. <laughs> My soul is not actually worth that much. Yeah, uh, how dare you? <laughs> but this is a sort of wider thing of, you know, you have to, you do have to consider how much people have been paid. And I think as well, you think of these sort of smaller organizations, which, you know, perhaps can't pay their staff so well. And mm. I would, you know, I'd see it when I worked, worked for the Evening Standard for a little bit in online news and people would persistently go to the Daily Mail and the Sun because it was just a pay bump instantly for yeah. doing the same thing. And that was going from somewhere that was also a legacy outlet. So if you then consider that you're, you know, somewhere that's plucky, giving people opportunities, maybe taking people who are lesser qualified, people from different sort of backgrounds, unfortunately, that may also coincide with paying them less money at the same time as what some of these places do do, do when it's smaller, because, you know, you're providing someone a platform they might not get at a legacy place. But then somewhere legacy comes along and goes, well, we're just going to take the talent and mm -hmm. pay them more, pay them more money. So mm -hmm. how sustainable can that be you know if you to be a journalist and to not have some variety of kind of family financial backing sometimes i think people would consider to be quite misjudged really. yeah i think that's why i always get frustrated when we're specifically on the left people i have never worked for these outlets but people will criticize yeah. certain journalists who take roles at the mail or I'm not even going to say the sun because that's not doing it. But, but the mail or the, you know, whatever. And it's like, well, you, you have to get a roof over your head. You have yeah. to put, you know, you have to somehow live and subsist and then hope that one day that will lead on to you doing the actual journalism mm. that you'd eventually like to do. I mean, if you get yeah, realistically, when you come into this job, you're getting paid about 21,000. Yeah. It's, it's really not very much money. And then to live in, you have to live in London or Manchester. How do you afford to do that if you don't have your parents paying for it? Yeah, my first job working in journalism was for a news agency. So it's just kind of, you know, the Mail, The Sun, The yeah. Times or whatever would just get hold of you and send you out to court or send you out to do a death knock or whatever it might be. Yeah. And I mean, that got me into journalism and it did give me a good grounding in training. It made me do some sort of, you know, a lot of work that I didn't enjoy doing very much, hence why I don't do it anymore. But that allowed me that foot through the door because, you know, I didn't maybe have the resources to go and do a, a master's course somewhere yeah. in London and then go and do some part-time free journalism somewhere or go and do a week's work experience somewhere for free because I couldn't get to London. I lived in Leicester for a little while and now my family are in Lincoln. The cost of getting down here for a week was just not not sustainable. And they've closed all the local papers. Yeah. But that's where the classism comes into it because there's sort of this assumption that when, if you want to break into journalism, you kind of like the journalism people turn around and go, where would you like to go? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. that you welcome you in with open arms. Oh, that kind of leads nicely into... So when you first get your job in journalism, I didn't realize that we were going to do such a media-heavy podcast, but hey, here we go, guys. <laughs> I um, hope you're enjoying. When you first get your job, a lot of your 
a lot of the work that you'll be doing on the daily is is copywriting. So yeah. you will there will be a story that comes in from press association or Associated Press, and then you rewrite that in the style of your newspaper, and that goes online. And you basically do that about eighteen times a day. And then there's this really fancy leaderboard in the office, which basically ticks up how many clicks your article has had. Yeah. Um, and you are rewarded by, uh, you know, getting your salary <laughs> if it's, <laughs> if it's uh, you know, a good number. It's like a target incentive for like clicks online, isn't it? Yes. So, well, yeah, some places will do bonuses for it. I mean, and, you know, a lot of people just want the kudos of being the most read you know, I've been in a newsroom where you would get a monthly email saying this person is the most read journalist mm. this yeah. month. Yeah, well, we... You we have to read that too. Everything is just, yeah. yeah. We, we, we found two examples online of some quite good... I would click this article. I yeah, think, if I, I think I did click the article. So the first one we found was from which outlet? They're both Express. So they're both from the Daily Express, both online. But the first headline is, GB News praises Princess Kate's well-shaped backside after ex-IRA man's vile tirade. Isn't that great? It's just like, it's got everything yeah. the Express yeah. wants in there. That's, that is an absolutely like textbook bit of, click. I don't know if it was clickbait, because no, yeah. you are getting what that is promised. You are getting an article about. Well, I think there's, there are plenty of places which want to write a headline before they write a story. Yeah. Or they want to find the things. I remember when I worked at The Standard, there was a, was a story about people were doing so much coke in London, and then it was going into toilets and then going through to eels, and the eels were getting high from <laughs> yeah. cocaine. And no. I did the follow-up story, which is cocaine in the Thames is another problem eels don't need, which is like a constant Great. British problems meme all mm. the time. And that was just literally, it's been there like, the eel story is doing so well. And we're like, but what more can we write about it? Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know, really. And I, I was ringing up fucking pie shops <laughs> saying like, you know, are you, are you worried gonna, about this? And they were like, we obviously don't go out eels from the Thames. <laughs> So no, we're not. We're not remotely concerned by this. And I was calling up these people, just looking at me like, what? Well, not looking at me, just going down the phone, thinking, what are you talking about? Yeah. And then I just found this sort of quite well-meaning Waters guy, who, yeah, I said, you know, is this just another problem eels don't need? And he said, yeah, it is. And I just thought, so well, there you go. That is, that's the headline. Is it Fergal Sharkey? Yeah, no, unfortunately, it wasn't Fergal Sharkey. We had someone in the office the other day actually who didn't know Fergal Sharkey had been in a band. That's us. That no way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was you. I was, I was on my way down here to interview yeah. him. And then one of us mentioned Ed was like, oh, yeah, he got great songs, Fergal Sharkey. I was uh, like, so, what? Oh, what do you mean? Just thought he was a really yeah, popular yeah, yeah. water he, person. Yeah, I just, that's what I just assumed. Yeah, so Thank that, God he said that. that appeals to you. I think like you're one of the few people who a really famous water person would appeal to. Yeah. Like a water expert, you'd be like, this guy, bro. <laughs> I did. I was fo like only following him for yeah. his, uh, you know, his takes on, work on the rivers. Take on safe water. Look, I, I've got a, a big interest in the waterways and our Victorian plumbing system. I thought that's, that's good. Everyone needs a hobby. Mm, you not and, as good you as... and the eels probably have the same amount of interest in water. Yeah. Well, me and the eels are all turning up in the city on a Thursday night to talk about fintech. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and podcasts. And yeah, podcasts. and podcasts. Yeah, right. Cooked out, out to the gills. Okay, the gills. this other one, this other Express headline was good because this is like SEO. Do you know you're trying to hit every single click possible? Yeah. So it's Carol Vorderman and Woke Banks prove Brexit was just the start of fight to save Britain. <laughs> What's I mean, happening that's, there? That's good. Carol Vorderman, hate figure, as in people on the right hate her. Yeah. Woke banks, people fucking hate woke banks. Like. Yeah. 
Monzo. People hate Monzo. Cashless, hate them. <laughs> yeah, oh, they hate that. They hate five minute cities and they love Brexit. Five minute cities, you've even yeah, that'd be oh, so yeah, fast. That'd be yeah. so tiny. Imagine that. That'd be good. No, that that sounds it's like un- it's unfeasible. No, a five minute city sounds like prison. Like the fifteen minute is like you well, know you can glacially walk around like you you're know, in Nintendo. In, in, but... in prisons, they get plasma televisions. Well, so they, they might as well be a flat series. screen TV. Yeah, exactly. Like, have you ever not seen a flat screen TV <laughs> yeah. like, in the last fucking twenty years? Yeah, yeah. Like, seriously. Yeah. I mean, I like the idea of a five minute city. I feel like I would save some money, just get yeah. healthy, just chill well, out, well, but maybe not see loads of people. I wouldn't be a five minute city wouldn't be as healthy because you have a shorter distance to walk. A fifteen maybe. minute city that's like a nice walk. Yeah. Five minutes is like. You're you're barely leaving your house. Yeah, well, it's basically Stoke Newington. It's pretty much progress, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. That was, a, that was a real London media class <laughs> joke there. That's one. Yeah, that's one, yeah that's no, one I had to the, bring it in. I'm here from the Central Podcast. Yeah. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It's the Politics Show podcast. And on that, so how is centrism? How is centrism? <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Stoke Newington, yeah. Yeah, the, re- the reason they ever well, said I'm that I'm really is... re- regretting making my bio on Twitter centrist lad you know, for a bit that, now, and then now the, it's that that's on, straight away. Yeah, it's, it's, on, it's on my notes, the self-described centrist lad. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that was mainly taking the piss. Yeah. But I now see that when I meet people who don't know who I am, that sounds like that's, that is who I am. <laughs> are you regularly in a place where everyone knows who you are? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's just yeah. Maybe it's just I don't really like meeting too many new people. It's <laughs> <laughs> sort of like in a professional context, that's fine. And then outside of it, I just think, come on, I've got friends. <laughs> I'm 30 years old. I've made friends. I've got that's family. Good. That's good. I've got like I've got like four siblings, man. Like uh, juggling that, like that's hard. There's no point in more friends as well. No. Busy it's guy. Too much. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a ton of people. That's yeah. like so. That's like four times as many people as you know. <laughs> <laughs> I know you. Yeah. And that's it. Um, yeah, so the reason that wasn't just a personal attack from Ava on, G- on Jacob, we wanted to kind of actually talk about kind of the role of centrism off the back of an article by Finn McRedmond, where she basically argues that centrism and centrists present themselves as a kind of non-politics. Like we are the sensible, we, we don't do politics. Politics happens to us and we are like the reactive. I love by party. me just being here, you've gone to we. You're part of us, one of us. You're in, you're, you've joined the <laughs> centre. I'm <laughs> being pulled from like there. Yeah. Um, that's yeah. So they're sort of like the control variable by yes, which everyone yeah. else kind of and the, and which um, and she argues that that is not the case. For example, um, she says the centre ground in politics maintains two fictions about itself. First, that it is about the that it is above the emotional pinball of politics, and is instead grounded in reason. 
the centre never makes culture war. Second, that the centre is the standard bearer of public civility, positioned in stark contrast to the brutishness of both the left and the right. Obviously, Pin did a much better example or way of, uh, did much better explaining her point than I did. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, what are your thoughts about that, Jacob? Just the, um, that kind of position. I mean, I think the main difference in all of British politics that we, we kind of don't speak about as clearly because we're clearly in one camp of it is just very online and not very online people. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the, you know, we can talk about this widespread of partisanship, but I actually don't know if I honestly believe the country or people that you meet on a day-to-day basis are as split as that. I think there are just some people who have spent way too much time on Twitter or X or mm-hmm. whatever it might be today, and that's made them naturally gravitate to certain places or algorithms have forced them into gravitating to certain ways and that's create this this split so i mean i'd say that as one point i think is a more is a more useful distinction actually when we talk about the real world than maybe we give it credit for and i think by virtue of being very online we've just been, been talking about online media outlets and now we're talking about something which is largely based around what people would seem to be saying on social media mm-hmm. so you know that I think is one part of it. And then I also think it just depends on what you consider, how you consider a a political descriptor. Is it a fixed variable? Is it a way you identify yourself? Or is it a sort of prism that frames the way you think, for example? So I would consider myself to be relatively in the center when it comes to politics, not because I see that as somewhere where it's like, that is who I am and I will stay there and I'll always be there. But because I think, you know, if someone's got a good idea from somewhere then I will listen to the, the good idea. I want to hear the good idea and discuss good ideas. And so there can be things where I can sort of move around a little bit there. So it kind of, know, it's when people talk about being progressive, say, and, you know, think of people in older generations who have gone, well, actually, I am really progressive because I was super progressive in 1994 and I'm more progressive than my dad. So fuck off. I took E in 95 at like a brick <laughs> yeah, exactly. or something. And yeah. it's because then their Overton window is like, they're way more progressive than like their dads were, yeah. say. And then they've frozen in time at a certain point. Whereas I would suggest to be a progressive person, you have to be constantly considering progress and looking Fluidly, forward to more yeah. progress because you can't be progressive unless you want more of it. You can't freeze mm-hmm. in that. And I think that's why I would say also about the kind of the center of politics for me is not something I necessarily see as a, a fixed place where where I am or where people mm-hmm. have to be. Mm-hmm. I'm quite liking the footballification idea of politics being just online and not online because then yeah. that also ties into the whole GB News mantra, which is we're, we're talking to real people. About yeah. what we saw on Twitter. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I think it's always very embarrassing when you have to explain to someone who's not online like a, a beef that you're aware of. Like when yeah. Killian Murphy was doing this some media oh, yeah, round yeah, and he yeah. said he didn't know what a meme was yeah. and I just thought, I've never been so jealous of a person in my life. Like one, <laughs> he gets to be Killian Murphy and two, yeah. you know what any of this shit is? Like, can you imagine Killian Murphy being like, did you see the latest beef with, I don't know, Sophie Cochran and Femi? <laughs> like he would just be like, what? I don't know who these people are. Like, I'm only trying to explain like who Russ in Cheshire hits to oh, him. And he would just wouldn't know. It is painful that I know like, I know who those people, those people are. Yeah. Imagine the more useful things I could know yeah. than that. I thought that, but that reminds me of Matty Healy not knowing what an essential oil was. Like, he was like, oh, 
I'd like petrol is my favorite essential. <laughs> I, I would love a world where my life isn't dominated by various oils. Yeah. I can imagine someone coming into my sauna actually and just putting fucking petrol on top of the thing. People oh come God. in and just put all sorts of essential oils on. A lot going on there. Do you time. really have a sauna? No, I don't own my own sauna. No, no, no. I don't, no, no, no. But I go to a sauna, uh, predictably in Hackney where I live. Uh, and yes, yeah, sometimes Not you're the Turkish there. one in Dalston. No, that is amazing. Have you been it, to yes, that? Yes, I have. The one that's kind of, it's got like PVC garden doors yes, and just I more have. marble than you've ever seen. Yeah, I really, it's incredible. I love it there. And like yeah. sort of men in just in boxes come in and that's hang out. That's why I go. The water is so, <laughs> so painfully hot. Yeah. Uh, no, mine's just like, you know, a normal gym sauna. I say I'm, I'm pretty, you know, normal. Yeah. I know I don't come across as a normal guy. Either, but yeah, I, I am, you know. Could More grounded it? than I seem. No, definitely. Um, <laughs> no, you, abso um, you absolutely are. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks for engaging sure? with that in such he's, a serious most, and polite way. The most normal make guy, me sound yeah. more like a wanker. The <laughs> 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 it's not my intention at all. You're a normal bloke. And you know, everyone thinks that. Drop a comment if you think Jacob's normal. <laughs> Yeah. That's not even Jacob. This is actually doing Ollie Dugmore the entire time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so Charlotte Owens. Yeah, really. You know, <laughs> we're back to Charlotte. We need young people in yeah. Parliament. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts on the role of current rule of centrism? I suppose it's less about the concept of centrism and more about the current centrist figures. I suppose. No, because every point I have has been rendered futile by that really apt description of politics being online or not online. I now can't revert to talking about online politics yeah. as if it's yeah, somehow you know what I thought, you know that, um, omnipresent. The article in the New Statesman last week about Grace Campbell. Mm. We're talking about so Grace Campbell, if you don't know, Grace yeah. Campbell is a comedian who's Alistair Campbell's daughter. So who, your sister. So my sister. Um, <laughs> who, I, I, mean, I did see people who genuinely believed you that, were Alistair Campbell. Pe people, think, I, people think that. All, I used to get quite a lot of tweets blaming like, saying, saying like, your dad should be in the Hague. <laughs> <laughs> and then my, my friend um, recently, my friend Hannah got a text from one of her friends saying, just spotted Alistair Campbell's son in a bar oh my god and took a photo of a guy who looked a bit like me and then sent it to him and then it wasn't me so people, anyway I'm not a, so it wasn't you and it also wasn't his son no I don't think he has does he have, does no he I don't think he anyway. does he's also really quite pissed off about this in real life which oh, no, is why I, it's I, even I bet, funnier I bet, I bet he is um, <laughs> sorry anyway. I know this is like your crowd sorry <laughs> no no he's, he's uh, we, we, he came onto our podcast he's very intense in real life so I can imagine if he's sure. if he's pissed off about something it's not yeah. great um, so I think Grace Campbell is very, very funny, and I'll say yeah. no more. What mm. my point about Grace Campbell is, someone wrote a think piece about Grace Campbell, which if you are just say you're a seventy-year-old subscriber to the New Statesman, I don't know if this, if this piece yeah. went to print. You're not online, whatever. You'd be reading like, what? Like Grace Campbell isn't mainstream famous, but she's adjacent. Mm. Well, this she's, pulls she's us adjacent. back to another sort of media thing that I uh, that I read about recently, which is the mullet strategy. And it's basically, yeah, yeah, so hear me out here, it's kind of doing, so on the front page of your website, you'll have like cool stuff that makes you look like a serious news organization. And then you'll go, oh, if we write about, I don't know, what Holly Willoughby was wearing on this morning today, 40,000 people will Google that and then they'll get our, they'll use us for SEO and they'll come to our website right. and they'll read okay. of our stuff. So you get these places which will do you know, serious news up front and then go, you know, party in the back, get everyone in. So I don't know if this is quite an example of that because I think it was, you know, a little bit more thought through than something like that. But there clearly are places which will just go, oh, right, this is the stuff that can pull people onto the website. Mm -hmm. 
but people wouldn't pay to subscribe for that. So, mm. yeah. And a lot of this profits off of the culture war, right? So like that yeah. is the main driver. And what we wanted to talk to you about was the culture yeah. war at the next election. And so I don't know if you've got any ideas. Okay. So my, considering the premise that at the next election, the Tories are going to fight using the culture war, right? Yeah. They're going to be picking up the big, you know, the best buzzwords to try and somehow sling some red meat to the voters. What do you think will be the main pieces of that? I mean, I think a lot of them are in a really kind of 2010s sort of mindset. And so therefore, I think migration will come back to it because mm. I think that did used to be something which really moved votes. And I don't know if it necessarily will as much now, but, you know, you've got these kind of people who... And so we, we did a bunker episode recently about this with Rob Ford and how people change their, their minds on migration. I mean, a lot of the, the current ilk of politi politicians were around in that kind of Ed Miliband era for Labour. And you would have that narrative that people didn't like austerity, so they would like to vote for Labour, but then they didn't trust Labour on immigration. And that really worked. And for me, I think this, this current incarnation of the Conservative Party is kind of wanting to show that it is more sensible, for want of a better word, and kind of more of the David Cameron and George Osborne era in some ways, which is why people like Richie Sunak have been put to the fore, but then are also wanting to say, but everything is a culture war and we're going to engage in that wholeheartedly at the same time. Which so I can just see it being a kind of bit of a retro culture war on immigration again, which I don't know if will really work for them. But I think a reason why they would do that as well is because Rishi Sunak surely does not see if he were to lose, he does not see this as the end of his political career forever. He's too young. And so he needs to lose with some variety of dignity. And when you look at migration, their sort of base are the sort of people who will be really, really fueled up by that. So, I mean, we're seeing that at the moment. I know you guys were speaking about that in your sort of uh, more reactive podcast today. Uh, so, yeah, I think that to me looks like just a really obvious one that they will cling to and a really obvious one that they can throw at Labour that, that has a wide, they see it as a wide appeal despite it probably actually being their base who cares you know, so much. I think that's quite a generous interpretation of Rishi Sunak's motives. I think, yeah. I think Rishi Sunak thinks he has absolutely no chance of furthering his political career or continuing his political, political career unless they go balls to the wall. Unless, yeah. he, unless he goes, chucks everything, chucks the kitchen sink at the electorate they're so fine behind. They are so far behind in the polls that, like, what would like a, what would like a, a dignified loss be like? Oh, it's still going to be a complete and utter uh, trouncing. Yeah. So I, I think, and so he'll be humiliated. It's like, is it better to quietly? Is it? He'll be like, it'd probably be more dignified just to just kind of accept to fall on your sword and accept just take your take your meds and take. Sort of just be swept along. But, but but he's he's like, well, oh my god, my political career is going to be over in my forties. Yeah. Like, what when has a former prime minister come back and done something yeah. notable in politics again. He's going to just go on the lecture circuit. And make, well, and that's not fair. I think Theresa May, without you know risking sounding like a centrist, but, um, no, but she, she, Theresa May stayed yeah. on, and I think she's made quite a. But, but I think she's not. She's not Rishi Sunak. As Rishi no, Sunak no, doesn't I have know. the same I'm, motivations as yeah. Theresa May. No, of course. Not. Do you think he'd stay on then as leader of the opposition? I don't think he would necessarily stay on. But does he? Is he the sort of person who thinks he could kind of linger around and have some variety of? position or clout in the future mm. to some extent. I mean, to me, he just feels like there's that mindset of when you're that well off, like what can you actually do that gives you some variety of satisfaction? And for some extent, that is, that is power and being around public life in the way he is. 
And I can't see him being massively interested in being a sort of constituency MP in the way that Theresa May yeah. seems to have, you know, going on happily had photos taken with potholes. I mean, I can't really <laughs> see Sunak kind of, unless he's going to get in one for like a sort of hilarious photo shoot like that, <laughs> which would be quite nice. Lying, sort of like a reverse elf on a shelf with Sunak down in a pothole. <laughs> but, you know, I can't see him wanting to do that. But I can see him, you know, lingering around and thinking he has some variety of clout left. Because I think these people don't, you know, he's, to me... Again, though, I think you're also right that we we sit around and pontificate about their their motives being any more than just arrogance and bluster and self-preservation in whatever may, way that might sort of encapsulate itself today. So, yeah, maybe I am being more generous that he would want to stay around, but I can't see him being a sort of person that thinks he would just, you know, roll over and let it all take him. He's not doing a David Cameron. Yeah, no. No. <laughs> I hope no one else does do a David Cameron, <laughs> really. Um, yeah, is that... Do you have any, any more thoughts on, on the culture war? Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts oh, on the culture war, excellent. actually. Yeah, so, yeah thank you. If you could both leave, yeah. <laughs> and I'll now, now start listening then. It was a uh, power hour on the culture war. I mean, you asked me what I thought the main things would be. So what do you think it's going to be? Um, I think cashless society. I think that's yeah. going to be a big one. And then gender identity, which is an yeah. obvious yeah. one. But... Um, I just think the cashless society one is going to be, I can just really see like the Gary Sandbrooks and the Lee Andersons going back to their constituencies and doing sort of petitions or fights to get the banks reopened. And, you know, this is what Labour wanted to take away from you. And you the bizarre thing about casual, like, the cashless society thing though, I see is that surely you know, major people who maybe benefit in there being cash transactions are people who are paid cash in hand. And there are some people maybe who do claim benefits and then have some jobs on a on the side and get some extra money and for, for me to be perfectly honest you know, we don't give people enough money and benefits and if they can do that to support themselves in some way good like mm. uh, you know it doesn't really bother me in any way despite it being you know something which you could de well would be considered illegal in whatever way that might be people need to to live we need to give them more money if they can find a way to get more money but that seems strange to me that that would then be a such a conservative talking point be able to track money more would be able to let them go and we'll track all the scroungers yeah don't you worry and we'll we'll track all the cheats whereas you know there's yeah. some levels of sort of cheats that you could maybe go well actually there's maybe a leftist argument to say well we should have some cash around to be able to say oh this person is struggling and they're down their luck and i would like to give them a little bit more Mm. money to help them out and I would like that not to be tracked so they don't get in get in trouble for that. Well, did you like the argument as you see this was being posed by a few of these backbench MPs that um, victims of domestic abuse would not be able to escape their violent partners because they'd be able to be tracked by their credit card and it was like when the hell have you ever spoken about women's yeah. refuges <laughs> or when have you ever been interested yeah. in domestic abuse? But, but, but I think the interesting is it's kind of like worst person you know makes a good point about kind of the cash yeah. stuff. Is it, it doesn't just apply to people on benefits just or who need it for um, cash and hand jobs. Like if you're an older person and you can't work your Nat West app to like move money around, it's much easier for you to go be able to go to a, a uh, to go to a cash machine, get cash out, and conduct. Yeah, but the big way. point with that is is that there aren't any branches of banks left, and that's because the presiding government didn't get involved in that and no, just no, allowed no, them all to close. True, that's, that's why it's worth. Yeah. My grandma doesn't um doesn't have a bank account. 
She doesn't have she, a bank account. She doesn't have a bank account. Really? She's she uh, <laughs> Well, she is Italian. <laughs> um, she uh, she just she gets her pension out in fifties. <laughs> it's just nice. in her bag. I mean, there was one time that someone tried to mug her, and my my grandma, who honestly I've, I've said this before, she looks like a used cigarette, um, <laughs> and <laughs> she wrestled this guy to the ground like it was quite obscene. You know, she she was not letting that handbag go. No, no way. Fair. I think that is fair. Yeah. We can wrap it up there if you like. Can we wrap it up there? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what we talked about. Uh, your grandmother looking like a used cigarette. Well, you fancy her, so that's the... I've never seen a photo of your grandmother. No. Anyway, <laughs> you, you fancy her vibe. <laughs> She's sick. Something I about love it. used cigarettes. Yeah. And old women. Anyway, Jacob, thank you very much for joining us. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. Ava, thank you for being here as always. Oh, well, thanks for having me. Excellent. Uh, remember to subscribe to the Politics Show subreddit and check out Jacob's various podcasts, The Bunker, Oh God, what now? They're all very good. And come with a... And Paper Cuts, which is, paper cuts. Which is really, really good. Thank and you. has John Ellidge on it, who is amazing. He's great. Cut all of that out. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Anyway, uh, join us next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.